Good morning, may it please the court, counsel. My name is Greg Joseph. I represent Joel Jennison, Mark Vanek, Bill Reichert, Russ Bernison, Sunil Lakramani, and the thousands of disenfranchised Bloomington voters who have been denied their rights under the city charter. This is a case about denial of voter rights under the Bloomington City Charter and Minnesota Statutes Chapter 410 in the context of organized collection of trash in the city of Bloomington. This is the second time before this court. Last summer, you correctly held that the organized collection statute provides ample room for local regulation and measures exactly like the charter amendment before the court today. Final two remaining arguments before the court are also pretext for denying the charter amendment. First, the city of Bloomington is asking you to recognize a new legal construct that they call an improper referendum. The city is essentially asking you to find that a municipal ordinance is immune from a city charter amendment. Now, this is not defined in statutes. This has no case law support. This is impossible in its application because it results in countless unrepealable laws. Uh, and the Court of Appeals erroneously recognized this new concept, and we urge this court to reverse. Let's uh, start with that issue. I, I think that I'm going to hear from Mr. Hoff that what's going on here is an attempt to bypass the different standards for referendums and charter amendments. Um, how do you respond to that? And I, I get the question. I understand your argument that you know it, it's actually a greater burden from the standpoint of the number of petitioner number of petitions signatures on the petition that need to be signed. All of that. I don't. I, I'd like to set that issue aside. And my question to you is: the mere fact that there are different processes uh, for the two of them, do do we have a problem here? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, the council and the voters are free to amend the charter to make a referendum requirement, whatever they want it to be. But the state statute for 410.12 for a charter amendment is what it is. That's a state law. So we're talking about separate bodies of law. So the idea of expanding a referendum or an improper referendum, the city council and a city only has jurisdiction over certain things and they can't touch the statute, Your Honor, if that answers mm -hmm. the question. Council, in, in looking at the authority of the charter, which I think we have to do as well, um, I note that in section 2.01, uh, the charter relates to the form of government and says this charter establishes the council manager form of government. The council exercises the legislative power of the city and decides all matters of policy. How do we how do we read that, um, and especially in conjunction with uh, the powers in Section Five? Does that mean that we construe Section Five narrowly? No, it it, it doesn't. Um, section Five is there for a reason. But if we want to say that the city exercises the legislative powers um, exclusively, then we have to ignore initiative and referendum altogether. Um, but even so, the charter amendment power in, in 410.12 supersedes that anyway. And there's a separate uh, provision under Section 5 of the Charter that ensures voters keep that power to amend the Charter under 410.12. And, Council, when you're, I was going to ask Mr. Hoff about this as well. When you say there's a separate power, are you referring to Section 5.09 of the Charter, which says, Nothing in this charter affects the right of registered voters to propose amendments to this charter in accordance with the Constitution and statutes of Minnesota. Is, is that, was that your reference? Yes, it is. 
So and what's again, the significance of that? Significance is that the, the charter made it a point, okay, made it a point to set aside, okay, this doesn't interfere with the referendum power, it doesn't interfere with the initiative power. The voters have this right. We're setting this aside and we're gonna make it a specific point to say it's not limited. So I think what the charter is providing in 509 is that the, this doesn't get infringed. Nothing is confused here. And counsel, is that what you, is that your argument to distinguish Vassar or is there an alternative? Your Honor, I don't think Vassar needs to be distinguished. I think Vassar is an excellent case for us. Um, Vassar talks about the form of government that permits this type of legislation. And Vassar cites St. Paul as the type of city that allows this. St. Paul has initiative, referendum, and the power to, to, uh, to amend the charter. So does Bloomington. It has the maximum amount of power you can reserve for your people. So the form of government that Vassar talks about is exactly the kind of government that we have in Bloomington. So I, I don't think Vassar is a negative case for, for us at all. I think it's a very positive case for us. Council, if I may, um, and Mr. Hoff will, I'm sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I read the city to be saying, I don't think they're denying that residents have the right under 5.09 of the charter or under the statute to, um, uh, uh, to, to, to make a charter amendment, but that there's a way that you do that. There is a process that you, through which you do that. And when what you are doing is effectively repealing an ordinance, that's a referendum. And therefore that kicks you into the referendum process which your client started but did not complete or failed to complete in a timely manner and so that kicked them back out. Um, what's your response to that, to that argument? So there, there are a couple of things going on, Your Honor. Um, first of all, there's an assumption there that only a referendum can repeal an ordinance. There's nothing in 410.12 that says that a charter amendment can't repeal an ordinance, okay? Um, so, but if that's true, then what, what would be the purpose for a referendum? It seems like you make that whole process irrelevant if, if that's true. Here's the difference. Um, the difference is that a referendum and a charter amendment do very different things. A referendum suspends an ordinance. Okay, in Bloomington, you have 15 days to bring a referendum. You can collect all the signatures you have to and submit it within 15 days. It's a very short timeline. But what happens upon certification of those signatures is that the ordinance is suspended immediately in its operation. Okay, if you look at the, the Ad Temple versus Duluth case, okay, um, the power to suspend and possibly revoke an ordinance is an extraordinary power. So the difference is, while the Charter Amendment is repealing uh, Ordinance 2015-45 in Bloomington, there's no suspension function, okay? There's no benefit of that being suspended immediately. It's is there any difference. case uh, that ever talks about, I, I mean, I read that in your brief and I, I, I found it a little hard to follow. I, I, I'm understanding it a little bit better now as you were talking, but is there any case that makes that, that sort of suspension distinction that you're talking about? Because I've never heard it explained in that way. Well, so the, the Bloomington Charter defends, or I'm sorry, defines referendum that way. The Bloomington Charter defines that it's suspended immediately in its operation. And we have, we have several cases, including the Ad Temple case that define referendum as something that suspends an ordinance pending an up or down vote by the electorate. So the Charter Amendment, there, there, is, you know, there is no suspension function. It's either repealed or it's not repealed. That's the primary difference. Um, so it looks to me 
like there's no dispute that sentence one of the proposed amendment is would be a proper charter amendment. It looks to me like the dispute is over the second sentence. And as I read the second sentence, I'm, I'm thinking, and I think the city council has identified this, that essentially it makes the, the charter amendment retroactive to 2015. Am I right about that? Uh, it, it, I guess I, I don't know how to answer that question, Judge, because it would repeal the legislation that was passed in 2015. Um, I guess there's no, there no reason for it to be retroactive, but it would repeal that. So I guess in that sense, it would be. Okay, and I don't see anything in 410, Chapter 410, about whether charter amendments may or may not be retroactive. Is there any, do you have any insight on that? Is there any case law on that subject? Is there any reason, I mean, le legislatures and city councils legislate retroactively all the time, but there's nothing that tells us in the statute whether it can or cannot be retroactive. Your Honor, I, again, I don't think retroactive is quite the right word for it. It's not the word I would choose, Your Honor, but if you, if you looked at it in a different way, anything would be retroactive. I mean, any ordinance that was passed prior to the passage of the Charter Amendment would mean that it would be a retroactive application, right? Whether it happens two months down the road or whether it happens five years down the road. You could make the argument that it's retroactive in repealing an existing ordinance no matter what, right? No, you repeal an existing ordinance going forward. You're actually, this Charter Amendment, as I read it, actually repeals the ordinance going backwards and says that essentially if this, if this amendment passes, any, the ordinance and anything that has happened since then is, uh, is repealed. Am I reading that the wrong way? Again, it's, it's a hard one for me to answer, Judge, because you have to repeal the ordinance in order to, to, to void the contract. And we only have recourse to repeal the ordinance. We can't, there's, there's nothing in the charter that allows us to directly address the contract. So the only way to do this is to repeal the ordinance. I, I, I'm sorry if I'm not, I'm not answering your question well, but the idea of having it be retroactively applicable, um, I, I don't really understand. Council, maybe this is... What is the effect then of that second sentence? What, what to explain, uh, uh, explain to me exactly how you see that second sentence operating and what, what it accomplishes. So what, what would happen is if, in the event this is passed by the voters uh, at a general election or a special uh, under 410.12, what would happen is that 2015-45, the ordinance that enacted organized collection would be repealed. And without that ordinance, that ordinance is the legal basis for the city's contract with the haulers. So without that ordinance, the, the contract with the haulers becomes impossible. There, there's, there's no legal basis for it any longer. So I don't see that it would be. So council, that seems to me that that would be retroactive. And is there a problem with it being retroactive? I think that's the question Justice Lillehog was trying to get an answer to it. Is there an issue if it is retroactive? Does that cause a problem for you or does it, or does it not matter? We, I don't think it matters. No, I, I don't think it makes any difference. I don't understand how, again, we, we have, the city pressed forward with organized collection, as we know. This has been happening in Bloomington since then. Now, we can't undo the last three years and change of organized collection. Um, so if the, stat, or if the uh, ordinance is repealed now, we still have organized collection for the last three years, no matter what happens. All it's saying is there's no longer a legal basis going forward for organized collection. Um, that'd be our argument. Council, um, the amendment has 
sort of all the trappings, if you will, of a referendum. Um, because at the end of the day, what it does and what you're seeking to do is to repeal uh, the city's ordinance. And I'm wondering if there's a case or out there that, that says that voters can bypass what would typically happen in a referendum process that's provided for in the city charter <coughs> and instead repeal an ordinance by a charter amendment. I mean, what, what's the best case? Is there a case that supports that proposition? Because it seems to me that's what you're doing or that's what you're asking to do. And, and again, I would distinguish the two because there's no suspension function, okay? All right, so, so there is no suspension. Your argument really hinges on, on that, that this suspension function. Well, that, that, that is half a referendum, but, but it's is not there, just that. Is there any problem with having multiple ways of repealing an ordinance? No, I don't believe there is. And I don't believe there's anything in a, in a charter amendment uh, in chapter 41012 that restricts that. There's nothing in 41012 that says you can't repeal an ordinance. Um, so there's really no motivation to skirt a referendum in this case. As I pointed out, it's a lot harder to get a charter amendment as well. Um, we take anything from, or should we take anything from your client's actions? I mean, initially, that's what you thought was the proper mechanism. You filed it as a, you, you, you approached it as a referendum unsuccessfully. So this is something that's occurring after the fact. No, I'm sorry, that's not correct, Your Honor. We, we, this was actually originally filed as an initiative, not as a referendum. Um, and in the first case, it was found that an initiative wasn't the proper vehicle because it functioned as sort of an anti-ordinance, okay? So because the ordinance hadn't been passed yet, it was sort of tying the hands of the city council um, as an initiative, and that was found to, to be improper, and it was suggested that it be brought as a charter amendment, is the proper way, if, if that makes sense. Referendum didn't come later, but again. Well, I guess that's my point, and uh, help me with the record. At some point, you filed a referendum, right? Correct. And that was the document, and the city uh, clerk said you had insufficient, something was it procedurally insufficient. I don't remember what it was specifically, but something was procedurally deficient, right? We heard that a lot, Your Honor, yes, yes. Okay. Um, so, so that's right, but, but again, at the end of the day, if you look at the charter amendment, it can't possibly function. I mean, it, you can't achieve with a referendum what this seeks to achieve, because what this is doing is tying the hands not just of this city council, but of every city council going forward. And you're saying, if you ever want to convert to organized collection, you have to get voter approval first. Council, um, going back, does the record tell us what happened in Jenison 1 when the initiative was put forth and there was, it was deemed deficient? Um, did the uh, city attorney do the amendments to, to make that legal, essentially, that was required, or does the record tell us? Uh, no, Your Honor, if memory serves, uh, it was rejected because it was preempted by state law, uh, because it was an impairment of contract, because the city uh, lacked the authority to, um, I'm sorry, if I could just answer it, finish answering your question. Um, the city lacked the authority to do it, and it was in improper form. There were several grounds. Thank you, Council. You have 20 minutes for rebuttal. Mr. Hoff. May it please the court, Council George Hoff and Shelley Ryan representing uh, the city of Bloomington. Um, 
The issue, there are two issues here, but the focus of the questions, and I'm gonna start with the issue of- Council, I'm gonna ask you a question right away. All right. Um, before you even start. <laughs> so if the second sentence were not in the proposed amendment, would you concede that that would be a proper um, charter amendment? You know, I've looked at this thing for now three years, I think, by now, and I'm not so sure it is. Um, and I think last time I was here, I, I think Justice Lilhog and I engaged in a soliloquy about, about the first sentence as well. Um, it's an odd sentence in that it defines process, so to speak. Um, and if you look at Vassour, if you look at 410, 410.12, what it talks about is charter amendments talk about that you talk about the form of government, structure of government, that's the permissible uh, method. And so I'm not so sure, given the way that is worded, if, if I may, if, if I were to say what would be a proper charter amendment, and maybe I don't need to answer this, but I will, is that it would be a straightforward, simple sentence that says the city does not have the authority to organize collection. So. Council, um, let's try to wrestle this improper referendum thing to the ground. I'm, I've never heard the phrase improper referendum before. I, to me, it's, something's either illegal or legal. So let's figure out what's legal here. Is there anything in this charter, proposed charter amendment that violates Minnesota chapter 410? And if the answer is yes, please point me to the specific provision. There is the, it is in, for, in chapter 410, yes. as opposed to Vassour. Uh, in chapter 410, if you look at 410.12, which is the amendment section under subdivision one. Got it. Um, what it says is the summary shall contain a statement of the objects and purposes proposed an outline of any proposed new scheme or framework of government and shall be sufficient to inform the signers of the petition as to what changes in government are sought. Okay, and how does this proposed amendment violate that sentence? The, because what it does is repeals an ordinance. When it's the second sentence repeals. Well, does it contain a statement of the objects and purposes of the amendment? I'm sorry, I don't know that I I'm, re I'm reading the language you just cited right. to me. Does, does the summary of the proposed uh, charter amendment contain a statement of the objects and purposes of the amendments? It's talking about a summary. It's not talking about the amendment itself. Correct. Okay, so does it contain that? Does the does the this particular amendment contain it? No, it does not. Because that, the sentence you read to me re relates to a summary that's that's put on the ballot, isn't it? Correct. Okay, and has that summary been prepared? Not to my knowledge. Then how does this charter amendment violate that sentence? Because the, the as I read this sentence, Your Honor, and as you read it, as this court read it in Vassour, is that charter amendments deal with the form of government and do not deal with legislation, which is what this is. A referendum is nothing more nor less than legislation. So does the charter amendment propose a new scheme or framework of government? In my view, again, in response to the prior question, in my view, if you wanna separate, if we can separate the two sentences for a moment, um, I'm not sure that that, as I read it more, that that does talk about a new framework or scheme of government given the, what I would view as convoluted language in it. Um, I think it goes to process. I think it could be cleaned up, so to speak, um, that's so the city's position is that the, the sentence about the summary of the amendment actually operates as a limitation on the substance of the amendment. In my view, yes. Okay. And that's I, also what I- Can I, can I just clarify that though? Doesn't that summary only, is this 
Is this charter amendment more than a thousand words? No. So is there a summary that's required? No. So what, I, I don't understand your argument then. The, the um, if you look back, I think what you have to look back at is the, it's also, if you have to look back, an amendment, an amendment assumes it's amending something. An amendment doesn't come out of thin air. It's not an original document. And if you look back at 410.07, um, and it has to be read in conjunction with that, it talks about the charter may provide for any scheme a municipal government not inconsistent with the Constitution and may so provide- So what about provisions, charter provisions in other cities? I'm not sure if it's in Bloomington that set up rules that you, about like hospital districts and you can't, and they set up very specific rules about what can and what can't happen with a very specific thing like a hospital district. How does that fit in with your argument then? If you, if you have- that not, So how is that different than, than this? Sorry. If, if your question to me, Justice Thiessen, is could, in that example, if a charter contained language that says, the city shall not have a hospital district, that goes to the form and scheme of government and goes to the basic power of, of the governmental entity. And how is that and, different than the first sentence here, which is saying, here, we're not gonna have a specific form of another government function, which is waste hauling. But we're talking, you can't, well, first of all, First of all, you can't separate the two sentences if we're talking about the improper referendum issue. You cannot separate those two sentences under this court's decision in Minneapolis HRA. If you recall that case, what it was is you had, I think there were three sections. Two were blatantly unconstitutional. The third maybe was okay. Uh, and what the uh, proponents argued in that case is, well, look, we've got a severability clause. Let's go ahead. Let us put the whole thing in front of the, in front of the electorate and let it sort out. And what this court said at that time was that you cannot re be a mind reader and you have to submit the whole thing and therefore it's, you don't submit an, an ordinance or a charter amendment which is unlawful. So you've got to read the two sentences together. Council, you referred to section 410.07 on what charters may contain. Yes. And you read part of the sentence. The rest of the sentence says, and for the regulation of all local municipal functions. Does this charter amendment provide for the regulation of the local municipal function of trash? Are you talking about both sentences or the first sentence? I'm, I'm talking about the sentence you were quoting from 410.07. I'm sorry, I, are you talking about both sentences of the proposed charter amendment or just the first? Um, In let, let's start question. with both. With both? Uh, then it exceeds that because it is, it, it, it's directly repealing a pre-existing ordinance. And that's not the regulation of a local municipal function? No, that's legislating. Okay, do you, would you concede the first sentence is included within regulation of local municipal functions? Subject, and I don't wanna repeat my concerns about the convoluted language, yeah. uh, the answer is if properly framed, that could potentially be the case. Okay. But I, I, what, do you, what do you make of um, section 5.09 of the charter? which says nothing in this charter affects the right of registered voters to propose amendments to this charter in accordance with the Constitution and statutes of Minnesota. I agree that's there. Um, and Good, we, if, we agree it's there. Uh, thank you, <laughs> yes, I will agree with it's you it's there. there. We can both read English. Um, and even if it wasn't there, they'd still have that right. I, okay. you know, it's put in. But I, I think, again, what you have to read is you look at 410.07, you have to look at 410.12, um, and that what you uh, come away with, and then this court's interpretation of Vassour. 
is that, and it's the legislative function, if you look at 2.01 in the charter that says all legislation, all legislation is powers vested in the city council, except as otherwise provided in the charter. And then what Bloomington did, unlike other cities, is they included referendum within it. And therefore, what has happened here is that the Bloomington residents chose a form of government. They chose the constitution, if you want to use that term. And what they did is they had specific parameters for how they were to be governed. The council controls everything legislatively, but there are certain strictures or certain areas where the, where the um, public can weigh in by petition. And the only way that's provided to repeal an ordinance is by referendum and it was specifically included. And that therefore that is what you have to go under. And I think what's perhaps lost in all this case and Mr. Joseph's eloquent argument about the rights of voters and the rights of citizens, what about the rights of the citizens who voted for the charter? They have an expectation that the charter will be followed. They have an expectation that that rule of law that was established by that charter will be followed. They voted for the charter, but they also voted for section 5.09, which says the charter may be amended. I agree. So, and then, and then if, we, if they have another vote, they can vote for or against this proposed amendment. So how, how does that reduce the rights of the, the citizens of Bloomington? Because, Your Honor, the, what, if you've got an ordinance, and let's, let's forget this ordinance for a moment. Let's talk about an ordinance that deals with how big a fence can be, for example, um, is what happens is that people, the ordinance is passed, 15 days past the effective date, and then people go ahead and, and control their behavior in accordance with that ordinance section. And then all of a sudden what happens is that later in time, just by, um, by virtue of a referendum, you can go ahead and undo that kind of, of regulation. That's not the anticipation. The, the, there is a, an expectation, in my view, of the residents of Bloomington that, they, that ordinances will be legislation permanently subject to, subject to either later control um, or later repeal by the city council after, after they have due consideration. And remember, we are talking about a representative form of government here. That is what the people of Bloomington chose. They didn't cho choose, for example, the Wild West, I was about to say of California with endless referendum, <laughs> endless initiative proposals, but that's what they've chosen. Council, could I ask you, sure. um, how about the St. Paul human rights case? How do, you, how do you distinguish that? Because I know it involved an initiative, but there the, the, the rationale of our court was that um, because there was the initiative recall provisions in that and uh, other language that's similar to the broad language in the Bloomington um, that that an initiative could actually repeal an ordinance. I, Your Honor, that's the law of this state, and I don't, obviously don't disagree with it. And I think what that addresses, that addresses is Mr. Joseph's comment, which I don't think he got any questions about, is, quote, this is an unrepealable ordinance. It is not an unrepealable ordinance. There are remedies that are available to the citizens of Bloomington. First and foremost is the, the old phrase, throw the bums out. File for election, get on the council, make some changes. The others by initiative. And the important thing to understand about initiative is again, what the residents of Bloomington did in establishing their charter, their constitution, 
is they had a reasoned method of dealing with initiative. You file a petition, and I, if I remember right, it's section 5.07 of the charter. Um, and what that provides is that there is a petition with respect to initiative, then the council has to take a look at it, there's a 65 day period, and then there is a public hearing requirement. The council then can go up, down, or modify. If it's modified, then what happens is the petitioners have the opportunity to decide, is that something we like or not like? And so it's, it's a much different process, but that is available to, uh, leaving, I, leaving aside the contract issue, I'm not talking about the impairment issue here, um, that that is a remedy that's available to them, and I see them as entirely distinct cases. Can we go, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, just to follow up then, so you're, the distinction is that the Charter Amendment is a totally different animal, and you rely on this, basically the state statute that says you can't do this type of thing with a Charter Amendment. I rely on several things. State statute, this court's pronouncement in Vassour, and the way, if you just look at the structure of the Charter. If you start at the top, Legislative authority, city council. Some reservation down here by way of leaving aside recall, some reservation down here uh, for initiative and referendum. And that is the, it's those two things that allow the exercise by the citizens of legislative authority with respect to ordinances within, within the city. Council, can you respond to opposing council's um, attempt to distinguish Vassar? I mean, he said Vassar actually supports his side because it's all about the form of government. Can you help, uh, do you have a response to that? I don't know how to respond to it other than the language of Vassar, uh, which as the court recalls, um, I believe this is the one that dealt with the minimum wage, if I remember correctly. Um, and what, as you know, having heard that case, is that Minneapolis does not have initiative and referendum. And so what happened is they tried to do, in my, the way we've phrased it and the League of Cities has phrased it, and, and run around that prohibition of, of no direct citizen legislation. Here there is initiative and referendum. So how does Vassar help? Vassar helps because what they're trying to do is they're using the charter amendment to enact legislation. That legislation is enacted A, under 201 by the council, or B, if you follow the referendum or initiative process. And so that's how it's, how it's distinguishable. And one interesting point about this that I think should be borne in mind by the court is that if you look at, for Minneapolis is a good example, for whatever reason, Minneapolis citizens have chosen not to have initiative and referendum. They have chosen not to allow direct legislation uh, by initiative or referendum on ordinances. If this court were to find, were to say, you know what, you can legislate by charter amendment. What the court has effectively done in my view is that for the 26 cities, I believe we've got it, it's in a brief somewhere, 26 cities that do not have initiative and referendum, what has happened is that is now foisted upon them without any consent by the citizens of those communities. Council, what I don't understand, what I have a broad picture problem with is, is that you have uh, initiative, you have referendum, you have charter amendment within your city charter. I don't understand why actually we're here 
from 2014 to present, when you have those options available, um, why the city didn't just work with the residents to address this issue. I, I have a real problem with that because they do have the options and it seems to me a little bit of gamesmanship. I understand the question um, and I was, I'm here as the appellate advocate for the city um, and I was not involved in any of those discussions. Um, I think that the issue of whether or not the city had an obligation to say, you know, here you go, here's what you need to do. I don't think any obligation like that exists. In this particular case, they have been represented by legal counsel throughout this whole thing. Uh, Mr. Joseph, I think, second attorney, if I remember correct in this, um, and they have had legal assistance uh, throughout. The other thing is that if you look at Minneapolis HRA, is what this court said at that time is you need to be respectful of the petitioners. The petitioners petition for what they want and it isn't the place of the city, it isn't you know, to go in and try to, try to read their minds uh, with respect to this. Um, they certainly have the ability to read the charter, they have the, they've had legal counsel all along um, and I'm not sure you know, what, I can't, I can't tell you why. But it they seems did to me that did. this didn't require any reading of the mind. I mean, to me, it's very clear what the, what the residents wanted. I believe what the residents wanted was to. Well, um, let's be clear. We, I mean, we have a subset of the, we don't have, I mean, we don't have every single voter in Bloomington before us in this case. That's true. We don't. Um, but the, um, I, I think that the issue that you're talking about is, uh, what is the what is the obligation? And in my view, the answer is that there it is up to the petitioners to do what they do what they want. Um, I let me think let me ask about the refer the this very interesting reaffirmation agreement. Um, assuming it's valid, uh, whatever whatever it is, when, when does the contract expire now? Uh, December twenty first, two thousand twenty. So it's got, what, a year and a half to go? Okay. Roughly. Council, let's talk about the contract argument for just a little bit here. Um, the constitutional requirement is an impairment of the contract. So have the hauler, if this, if this charter amendment passed, would the hauler's rights be impaired? Absolutely. How so? Uh, well, you heard Mr. Joseph say that in his view, the contract would be void. Uh, and that, I'm assuming what he is saying with that is that the authority would be taken away from the city to have the contract because the underlying ordinance would be repealed. Yeah, but is, wouldn't that just be a breach of contract, not an impairment? Interesting question. That, as you recall, you got some supplemental authority on this from both parties. There was a supplemental uh, le supplemental letters filed. And there are, um, uh, the issue with that is that the cases cited uh, by Mr. Joseph um, and by us uh, talk about uh, the issue of whether you have, what you're talking about, is there an ordinary breach? In other words, you know, we're just not gonna pay you. And is that an impairment of contract? The answer is no. The issue becomes whether or not there is a, a stripping of authority to impair the contract as a whole. That is what those cases stand for. Probably the case that's close. So you're say, saying that by virtue of passage of this 
charter amendment the haulers wouldn't be able to collect? I think they'd have that to give back the money that they, they've been paid. Uh, no, no, I think that that's what you're talking about. Then and we're getting a little far field, but it's an interesting question. Is I think it's far field? I think it goes directly to what a contract impairment is. Right, it does. And the issue becomes if you strip, let's say that you strip authority, um, and there's an issue about retroactivity, strip authority from the uh, city to enter into the contract, it becomes ultra vires. Um, if that contract is ultra vires, there was no authority to, presumably if it's retroactive, enter into it, and there's no saving language in that, in that charter amendment to not make it retroactive, uh, is that what you would have, I, in my view, with respect to contract remedies or remedies, would you would have, you would be able to have a, a quantum merit uh, claim. Certainly there, I don't think there would be a clawback for the services that are rendered, but the issue would be at that point, if the contract is void, you know, what, it, it's it's gone. And the, the interesting- When you're left with a, with quantum merit, is that an impairment of the contract? Absolutely, because Why? the authority, the authority, the authority to enter into the contract has been stripped away. Um, and if you look at the cases that are out there, and the most interesting case, I think, is the Oregon case that we cited, um, and closest on point, dealt with um, an issue of where garbage haulers were given an exclusive contract to collect garbage in Eugene, Oregon, I think. Okay. Uh, and what happened is that then um, uh, a charter amendment, and what was interesting, it was the city itself, that passed the charter amendment saying, you can't do that anymore. And what the court said is that is not an ordinary breach, that's an impairment because authority is stripped away. The cases that were cited by Mr. Joseph say the same, basically say the same. I had one thing. other contract question. Um, this, uh, this reaffirmation of the original contract, um, is that a retroactive reaffirmation? Yes, that's in the reaffirmation. So the city contracted retroactively? The city contracted, um, the city by the reaffirmation um, had the uh, reaffirmed that the contract has, was, and always has been in existence that has not been um, terminated under what people have called yeah, the automatic but it termination. It uses clause. the word retroactive. It says this reaffirmation and Second Amendment shall be applied retroactively. Yes. Okay. Is there any reason why a city cannot? contract or for or legislate retroactively? Um, in in this, if you're talking about in the abstract, potentially, yes. I mean, unless you run into a contract impairment or an ex post facto law issue. Right. You, but can, you the, can legislate retroactively. Sorry. Here's the issue that with that, okay. If you have, if what happens is authority is stripped, okay, let's make that assumption. The charter amendment passes. No authority to have this ordinance. Then what you're asking me, well, why can't we just repass that ordinance? There's a case out there from 1916, I believe, and it's cited in the in the briefs. It's called Magnella, I think I'm pronouncing that right, which said that you can't just have a ping pong effect, that the city has to act in good faith. In other words, if there's a referendum, for example, that repeals an ordinance, the city can't say, aha, we've got the ability to make this retroactive and then go ahead and pass that amendment. So, so can I just follow up on difficult. that? So I'm, what if the reaffirmation is more conceived as, as, as a new, even if the first one was terminated, this is a new contract. You know, so basically we're saying we're signing a new contract that incorporates all the terms of the old contract going forward. Is there anything that prevents the city from doing that to stop 
this ref could the city just rely on that new contract to stop this ref this uh, charter amendment from going forward because then it would impair the contract assuming assuming that what I have to so let me start again so <laughs> say say this charter amendment came first and then the city went ahead while it was pending and passed a con and entered into a contract would there is there any problem with making an impairment of contract argument by entering into a contract after the fact so could the city basically block the charter amendment by entering into a contract that would then be impaired if I understand your question correctly with the timing, could they, would there be an impairment argument that would remain? Could you create an impairment argument basically by entering into a contract after the charter amendment was put, you know, put forward? Um, I, I think it would be potentially possible. That would depend on the, I think that would be entirely dependent on the facts and circumstances. Uh, but the impairment, but the, we have to come back to what this case is. In this case, is stripping of authority, and that constitutes well, impairment. Well, if I can, I just follow up. I'm sorry, and I have one other one. Okay, sorry. Okay, so I'm here. The, so, well, no. So the the argument it is a stripping of authority. Their their charter amendment is the charter amendment is trying to strip strip the city of authority to enter into this kind of ordinance and contract. Yes. So assume that they come forward like they did, and you hadn't entered into the contract previously. The city had not entered the contract previously, but they come forward with this and they say, oh, and you say, boy, this is going to be a bad situation. So we are going to enter into a contract that would be impaired by the proposed charter amendment. Is there anything that bars the city from doing that? In my view, if I understand right, so we've got, we've got thinking process, proposal, no vote, chart contract entered here, right? In that time period before the, before the amendment becomes effective. I think, I think that could, I think that could be done. I think that could be done. I don't know why that would And I'd impairment. like opposing counsel to answer that question too, if you can impairment think about argument. that. The other question yeah. is, just looking at this language in the contract, 12.2.3, and it says this language about um, the process is proper or improper, right? I don't understand what that means because the lawsuit that was pending that this provision was aimed at was never gonna answer that question. So, or does it mean, I mean, if, if we say that what that means is that it has to be the process of organizing under the statute, which is, I think, referenced a little bit wrong, but under the organized collection statute, if, if all it means is that process, the litigation that was pending was never gonna answer that question. So doesn't the contract have to mean something different than that? I think what, what and I think we laid this out in our brief at pages 31 to 36 for the court, and I hope it was clear. Um, is you have to read it in the context of what was going on at the time, is that we had, the way it was argued, and we handled that case for the city, the way it was argued the first time with the, we were defending, the plaintiffs came in and the issue was proper and authorized. Then what happened is the contract is signed, that language is included, and then Judge Moore on January 19th, I believe, um, issues an order that said, you guys have the issue entirely wrong. Um, I want you to tell me whether or not initiative can even be used here uh, with respect to that, and that is then the issue that got briefed, so and that was the issue that was decided. In, in some ways, the, is what's really going on here is if the city wins the lawsuit, the contract's gonna go forward. If yes. the appellants win the lawsuit, it doesn't go forward. Uh, yes, I, that, that's the, I think, the gravamen of it, and the city won that lawsuit, and the contract went forward. 
And we would ask that the Court of Appeals be affirmed on the issue of referendum and reversed on the contract. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Mr. Joseph, you have 20 minutes. Council, I just, I wanna start with Vassar, if we can, because I don't really under, I don't really completely follow your argument that Vassar helps you. I mean, Vassar says, charter amendments are about the form of government. Your clients, as opposed to legislation. And your clients sought to have the charter amended, but the chart, but the proposal is legislative. So under Vassar, it seems to me, you can't, you can't propose legislation through a charter amendment. So I, I mean, I need, you need to help me understand why Vassar doesn't control um, on this issue. Here's the difference. Um, the difference is that in Vassar, the measure, again, as Mr. Hoff mentioned, was designed to circumvent the rule in Minneapolis that doesn't allow for initiatives. Okay, so the question really is, what's the difference between an initiative and a charter amendment, right? So the difference is that an initiative regulates the residents and the businesses in a city, whereas a charter amendment regulates the form and structure of government. That's the difference. And well, in Vassar in Minneapolis, I'm sorry, it, in Vassar it was an initiative really disguised as a charter amendment and it regulated the $15 minimum wage as applied to businesses and residents in Minneapolis. That's the difference. And, and your petition does exactly the same thing, the second sentence of it. Your Honor, our, our petition, our, our charter amendment, Your Honor, um, ties the hands of the city council, as I said, going forward. But really the only meaningful way to be able to do that since the city's already pressed forward with organized collection is to undo the system that's already in place. The only way to And do the way to do that was through a referendum. The, the way to do that is, is with our charter amendment, Your Honor, not referendum. Well, we, the, the charter in chapter 510 talks about getting an ordinance repealed. I mean, and that's with the referendum process. And, and you didn't do that. Well, a, a referendum can be used to repeal an ordinance. And again, that would suspend the ordinance pending an up or down vote. But remember there are, Why didn't you just do that? Because we can't possibly accomplish what we want to accomplish with a referendum. What we're seeking to do is restrict the power of the city council going forward. Referendum can't do that. And remember, just because there's a referendum provision in the charter doesn't mean that's the only way to repeal legislation in the city. There's no restriction in 410.12 about what can be repealed and what can't be. And if you take it one step- But Vassar stands for the proposition that you can't use legislation. You can't use something that's legislative to change the charter. Your Honor, I, I, I didn't read Vassar that way. From what I understood, Vassar was again regulating the businesses and the residents in the city. And it turned on two things. First, it was an attempt to circumvent the restriction against referendums and initiatives in Minneapolis. Second, it was legislative in nature because it regulated businesses and residents in the city. But what could be more legislative in nature than repealing legislation? Your Honor, uh, again, I, I, I go back, there's nothing in 410.12, there's nothing that says that a charter amendment can't repeal existing legislation. And if you take it one step further, it's hard to think of a charter amendment that doesn't at least touch existing legislation in a city. 
mean, if, if we're going to say that a charter amendment can't modify or repeal any existing local ordinances, what room does that leave for a charter amendment to do much of anything? But isn't the opposite of that argument that you paralyze the city council? The city council can never do anything because nothing's ever done. That's not the case at all. I mean, so really the question there is, is it too easy to do a charter amendment? And if that's the case, that the city's free to lobby the legislature to change the statute and make it more difficult to bring about. Um, but no, the city's not paralyzed at all. It's not a trivial matter to comply with the regulations of 410.12. Um, it, it takes quite a bit of time and effort, but again, if that seems too easy to Bloomington, they can certainly lobby to change that. Council, what do you say um, to Mr. Hoff's um, concern that there are 26 cities that don't have referendum and initiatives, and if we rule the way that you're encouraging us to, we're foisting amendments by charter amendment um, on them? Foisting referendum? Your Honor, you mean referendum by charter amendment? Yes. Okay. Um, I don't think there's any change that would come as a result. I mean, I think cities, again, to recognize what a referendum is, is critical. Okay. A referendum is distinct from a charter amendment. Even though the voters have the power to undo legislation, it's a separate procedure. I mean, in, in St. Paul, referendum is, uh, has to be brought within 45 days. There are different signature requirements. In Bloomington, it's 15 days. Okay. It's true that they do share the power to repeal an ordinance, that they have in common, but otherwise there's nothing in common. Um, so I don't think there is any restriction that I found, and certainly nothing that the, the city's pointed to, that says that a, a, a charter amendment can't repeal a city ordinance as it stands now. So you're saying in those 26 cities, the citizens always have a right to amend the charter amendment even when it legislates? Uh, yeah. I. I I, Isn't that, I think that flatly inconsistent with what we said in Vassar? Uh, no, I, I don't believe it is. But aren't you I, arguing that this is not actually legislating? I mean, what you're doing is, I mean, the first sentence in particular is about the power of the city. It's not telling anybody anything else. And to come back to Justice Littlehog's questions earlier, what the second sentence seems to be doing is to the extent that the city used this power in the past, we're gonna say this applies retroactively as well as forward, but it's not legislating. It's just saying the city didn't have the power before and retroactively or going into the future. That's, that's fair. That's a fair way to say it. That's right. Um, that's right. So what we're doing is not legislating. Again, we are affecting a municipal function. So the second part of it is, is a necessary element of it. There's no other way to approach this. Yeah, I think, Mr. I think Justice Thiessen may have given you a rope out of the hole that the Chief Justice was having you dig. Okay. Um, 410.07 says char charters can deal with um, the regulation of all local municipal functions. Isn't, isn't that the better answer? That, this, that you're, you're regulating a local municipal function? Minimum wage wasn't changing the structure of city government in any way. Wasn't even regulating a municipal function. It was just changing the minimum wage in the city of Minneapolis. That's, Isn't that the distinction? That's, that is a better distinction, Your Honor. And I, yeah, it, I think it is. Um, I think it is. Again, I think the distinction comes back to whether you're uh, regulating individuals and businesses in the city versus regulating the function. What about Mr. Hoff's hypothetical, um, uh, you know, providing free legal advice to, um, to um, your clients, his hypothetical, you just that, that, that it would be appropriate or proper 
if the um, proposed charter amendment simply said the city shall have no power to enter into organized collection. Is that, um, is that legislation under uh, Vassour? Um, uh, how, do you, how do you handle that one? I, it absolutely could have said that. And uh, per this court's ruling last summer, this is a proper area for legislation by the voters. So if the true intent was to say this city will never have organized collection going forward, the city council shall pass no ordinance permitting organized collection in the city, I think it absolutely could have done so. But that would be an appropriate charter amendment. Absolutely, yeah, because you're restricting the power of the city council. You're tying the hands of the council and the governing body. You're not telling residents in the city that they're not free to do contract with who they wish. You're saying the council can't enact an ordinance going forward. The, the heartburn, though, that this proposed amendment creates has to do with the second sentence. And I'd like to refer you to Mr. Hoff's argument on impairment of contract. I mean, you characterized this amendment as voiding the contract. Why doesn't that impair the hauler's rights? Your Honor, first of all, it assumes that impairment and termination are the same thing. Uh, they're not. Um, I guess the easiest way that, that I'd well, approach they, this is- If this amendment passed, would they still have contract rights under that voided contract? Are you talking about the reaffirmation, Your Honor? Or? No, I, I'm, I'm put, put aside the reaffirmation. The amendment as your clients proposed it, does it eliminate the rights of the haulers to a breach of contract claim? No, absolutely not. Why not? No, uh, because Your Honor, they're still entitled to, to performance. If the city goes back on its promise to perform, again, Judge, the city can only speak, so to speak, under a contract in terms of ordinances and resolutions. Can the haulers sue under an ultra virus contract? Because that's what your amendment would make it, wouldn't it? I, I would think that the haulers could sue and the city would be exposed for Well, breach. you may now, think, think that. Do you, can you give us any theory or authority? Your Honor, first we have to assume we have a valid contract, okay? I'm not conceding that, that there is a valid contract. 12.2.3, um, Your Honor, terminated the contract. Now, the city's gone back and reaffirmed. I, I'm yeah, sorry, they, I'm they have contracted retroactively, and they can do that, can't they? <laughs> Judge, I, I suppose if they wanted to reaffirm two weeks before my brief was due before this court, and they want to test to see what's going to be a problem through the courts, and then correct the contract afterwards. Yeah, but you're... Your clients are saying essentially the city can pass a, an amendment to the charter retroactively, have it apply retroactively to things that have already happened. Why can't the city contract retroactively? I mean, it's kind of the flip side of what I was asking Mr. Hoff. Right. Judge, I guess, I guess the difference would be that this should have been put on the ballot at the beginning. This should, we had the signatures, this was properly- yeah, that's not, that's not answering my question. I understand. Can you answer the question or? It's, can you, can you ask it, it's about retroactive why, why can't a city contract retroactively? Is there anything in Minnesota statutes barring a retroactive contract? Judge, I can't, I can't point anything to you right now. And again, I think the danger though, Your Honor, is at some point we're gonna get into litigating the terms of the actual contract. And we're talking about the argument the city made was this is manifestly unconstitutional. Wouldn't that be between the city and the haulers, though? And, and if we were litigating the terms of the contract, it would be between the city and the haulers. And there might be questions about standing and all the rest of it. But again, Judge, that's why this is about a vote. 
This is about something being so plainly and obviously unconstitutional that it can't be included on the ballot. Was it, organized suspension ever suspended? No. So the, even though the contract says it was supposed to be suspended, it was not? Organized collection's never been suspended in Bloomington. And so do, how much weight should we give to the fact that um, the parties, the city and the haulers, kind of joint understanding is that this contract was never terminated? I mean, the two parties believe that it was not terminated, so why should we say, even though you think it was, you don't think it was terminated, we think it's terminated? Right, and, and, and again, so then we get back into reaffirmation, we get back into maybe estoppel rights. I'm not, I'm not talking about reaffirmation, I'm talking about the original contract. As I understand it, your, your argument is that there's no impairment of contract. One of your arguments is no impairment of contract because this first contract was terminated, and that's right. the Court of Appeals found. Correct. But if the parties don't believe it's terminated and they acted by not suspending, which they should have done if it was terminated, suspending hauling, why should we step in and say, parties, you don't understand your own contract and we're gonna interpret it a different way? You don't have to, you don't have to. All you have to do is, is make a decision that this charter amendment is appropriately on the ballot. The, the, the rights between the parties and their conduct under the contract doesn't have any bearing on whether this is appropriate. Well, I thought one of the city's arguments was that the reason this can't go on the ballot is because it impairs a contract unconstitutionally. Right, it impairs the obligation of a contract of one of the parties. And I think that that's a distinction too, Your Honor. So are you not relying on the termination of the contract anymore to defeat the, un, the contract clause claim here? Judge, I, I don't know if the city re-enters a contract or if they reaffirm a contract. I, I'm not talking about re-entry or reaffirming, I'm saying the way I read the contract, I think there's a decent argument this contract was never terminated. Okay. It, and if it, it's not terminated, then there, there might be other arguments of why it's not impaired, but why, but one of your arguments, and certainly the Court of Appeals arguments, was that this contract was terminated so it can't be impaired, if I'm understanding things correctly. Correct. And so why should a court step in and say, even though the parties think it's going forward and act as if it's not terminated, we think it's terminated? Okay. If, if we look at the terms of the contract, okay, which again, we enforce the terms of the contract. We don't have to determine the intent of the parties. Okay, if the, if the terms of the contract are plain and unambiguous, we look to the terms of the contract to figure it out. There's been no allegation by the city that there's any ambiguity in the contract. In fact, they, in their last brief, they said that there, specifically there's no, there's no uh, ambiguity, okay? So, Council, just assume that the contract is valid. Is there a difference between impairment of obligation and impairment of performance? Uh, well, th there is, uh, because the Constitution only prohibits impairment of, ob of obligation and not impairment of performance. When Council, let me make sure I heard you correctly. Did you say that the, your, the proposed constitutional amendment would impair the obligation of the city under the contract? No, Your Honor, no. You, you did say that. No, I, that's, I apologize, Judge, that's not what I intended to say. What I intended to say was that. Are you taking it back retroactively? <laughs> taking it back retroactively, Judge. Um, thank you. No, um, Your Honor, my only point was that a contract doesn't have any rights. A contract is a, a four-sided piece of paper, okay? The parties to the contract have rights. So we're not talking about termination of a contract being unconstitutional, we're talking about impairment of the obligation of a contract. That's the problem, okay? So the contract doesn't have any right to exist on its own, okay? It's only a question of which party's rights are going to be impaired if that happens. And our position is nobody's rights are going to be impaired. 
The haulers are gonna be free to recover against the city for breach of contract in the event that the contract gets undone and the city fails to perform. The city council's authority and the voters' authority come from the same document. It's not separate, it's one action. The voters bringing this measure before the city is by the city's authority. So the easiest way to think of that is it's a dual legislature. We have the voters that are able to bring legislation by initiative, referendum, or amend the charter, and we have the council who exercises their power as well. But the point is it all comes from the same document. You admit that the proposed charter amendment would breach the contract entered into with the haulers. That could be the effect of it, Judge. And so you, you well, I'm not talking about whether it could be. I mean, isn't that true as a matter of law? It, I mean, if it is the, the city council entered into a contract and then you retroactively say, that contract doesn't exist, then isn't that a breach of the contract? Again, Your Honor, I don't think we're retroactively saying it doesn't exist because we're it would repeal the ordinance. Okay, so the Charter Amendment would repeal the ordinance as of the date the Charter Amendment passed. Oh, so it would repeal the ordinance but not the contract? The, the contract, the ordinance is the legal basis for the contract. Yeah. So without the legal basis for the contract, then the contract's repealed, The right? contract would be repealed, right, but not retroactively to. So that would be a breach of the contract. Right. So, the, the, answer, so the answer is now yes. The answer is now yes. Okay. It, it, in, in our view, it would be a breach of contract by the city, but it would not be unconstitutional contract impairment. Um, <clears throat> so the fundamental difference there Council, is. Council, if I may, do you agree with Mr. Hoff that should we rule in the city's favor uh, your clients would still have the ability to proceed by initiative um, because you can proceed by initiative, it sounds like, to at least under the charter, um, to propose a new ordinance, which would be another way to accomplish what your clients want, to get rid of the one that's in, in place and propose a new one or modify. It, which and, is what and, <laughs> and that was the Jenison 1 litigation. Um, but I'm saying, could you now, I understand that, but could you, is that now still another option available to you? I don't know that it is, Your Honor, and the reason is because, again, of the nature of an initiative versus a charter amendment. An initiative, you're talking about regulating the businesses and people in a city. This measure is about tying the hands of the city council and the city government going forward. I don't know that an initiative could accomplish that, and to the extent that it could, it's something that the next day the city council could meet, convene, and say, hey, you know this pesky thing that these voters put together? Let's just undo it. And there's nothing that would, there's nothing the voters could do to stop that. Well, so the, I think maybe though, kind of to come to the question, one, one way you could do that is do the first sentence as a charter amendment and do the second sentence as an initiative. Well, so then I, I guess I would ask you, Your Honor, if we do the first sentence as only a charter amendment and we omit the second sentence, What's to prevent the city from simply reaffirming its way through the next 100 years in the contract? What, what, what effect does the charter amendment have if voters are never given the choice whether they can convert to organized collection or not, or whether this ordinance gets repealed or not? Because you'd come back in with a, an initiative that would change it so they can't enter that contract. You'd pass a new ordinance that re basically repeals the 2015-16 ordinance, and then, you'd, and then you'd have a charter amendment in place saying into the future you can't pass another one of these things. Well, I guess maybe the way that you framed it, it wouldn't work, but you could take away the, the power of the city. Well, oh, so, so maybe your argument is that once you take away the power of the city to pass any ordinance related to 
to um, solid waste services, then that initiative in the future would be void because you've taken away the city's power to do anything regarding solid waste. Well, Your Honor, the next question would be, would the initiative be an improper referendum? Right. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't know what the new referendum really is. Okay, if we're gonna redefine it, then wouldn't the initiative that repeals it also fall under improper referendum? We, we don't know. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, very briefly, I've only got a, a few moments left here, but um, I, I do wanna touch on a couple other things. That is um, the public purpose exception, okay? Uh, it's, it's hard to think of a scenario where you would benefit the public more than giving people in the city an option as to what they wanna do. Do you want to choose this or not? Do you want organized collection in your city or not? There's a hard to think of a truer public purpose than that. So we would argue even in the event that the, the court equates termination with impairment of obligation of contract, we would argue that there's a significant and legitimate public purpose behind a charter amendment. So we urge the court to reverse on the fiction of an improper referendum and affirm on no contract impairment. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Thanks to all counsel for the help you provided to the court in this matter. This case is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. We're in recess.